Hebrews chapter 4 says this, For the Word of God is living and active. It's unlike any other book at Barnes & Noble. All the books at Barnes & Noble are dead. But God's Word is alive, it's active, it's doing something, it's working. Every time God speaks, it accomplishes something. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Glad you could join us today for a message from the series, Think, Christianity in High Definition. Today, we'll pick up with part two of a message on the doctrine of revelation. Here's Pastor Trent Griffith. First thing is we need to understand that the Bible is eternally true. We believe God wrote a book. And you have a copy of it in your hands. I mentioned that we believe the the word is inerrant, and so we need to understand what inerrancy of the Bible means. And what we mean is this, the Bible is completely truthful in all that it says without any mixture of error. There's never been an archaeological discovery that's disproven the Bible. There's never been a scientific discovery that's disproven the Bible. There are theories And where those theories speak against the Bible, those theories are in error. And so we embrace the authority and the infallibility in the inspiration of Scripture. The second thing is this. God's Word is abundantly clear. God's Word is abundantly clear. Now, this is an exciting... This is one of my favorite words that theologians use to describe what we believe about the Bible. We talk about the the perspective of Scripture. You know what the word perspicuity means? It's hilarious. The word means clarity. So why would you use a big fat word like perspicuity that nobody has a clue what that means? Let's just use the word clarity, okay? So here's what we believe. The clarity of the Bible teaches this. The saving message of Jesus Christ is plainly taught in the Scriptures and can be understood by All who have ears to hear it. If you have a desire to know God, you can know Him by reading your Bible. God's Word is abundantly clear. Now, in our age, there are a group of sincere and maybe not so sincere people that kind of have this idea that it's kind of arrogant to think that you can know what the Bible says. I mean, that's a big book. And God is so big and His ways are not our ways and His thoughts are so much higher than above our thoughts. Then we could just, there's really no way we could ever have confidence in knowing anything that, because we're so little and God's so big. And that sounds really humble, doesn't it? It's actually quite arrogant. Because what we're saying is this. I can pick and choose parts of the Bible that I think are clear and things that aren't clear. And so we believe the Bible is clear in its message. Let me just say this. Parts of the Bible are clearer than others. There's more clarity in some places than in others. But if you have a question about it, you can can go find answers to to that. Men that have thought about it for years and years, and it's all they do. And it's like they've brought some clarity to some places that are a little cloudy in Scripture. Do you remember the Apostle Peter? When we were studying the book of Matthew, he was up on the Mount of Transfiguration one day, and Jesus kind of 
pulled back his skin and let them know he was God and they saw him in all of his glory. Peter wrote about that in his book, 2 Peter, and I asked you to open to it earlier. You can turn back to there. 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter says this, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. You know who wrote the book? The eyewitnesses. What do you want in a courtroom if you're trying to figure out what's the truth here? What really happened? You're not interested in somebody that heard it on the news. You want people that were eyewitnesses, and that's who wrote the book. And the reason why some of the, the books that were presented were not accepted as Bible is because those men were not eyewitnesses. Peter says, I was an eyewitness. I saw him. I heard him. And Peter goes on to say this, for when he received honor and glory from God, the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son and in whom I am well pleased. You know what Peter's saying is, I heard the audible voice of God. I heard that with this ear. I am a man I heard from a divine being who learned my language and spoke. Peter said, I heard the voice of God. Do you ever long to hear the audible voice of God? Some of you might, man, if I could just hear the audible voice of God, I wouldn't need to figure out this Bible. That's so confusing. If God would just speak to me and tell me where to go to college, if God just speak to me and tell me who to marry, if God just speak to me and give me permission to divorce my wife, uh, uh, if, if God would just tell me what to do audibly, it would be so much clearer. Do you know that Peter said exactly the opposite? Coming from a man who heard his voice, you know what he said in verse 18? We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. You know what he was saying? He was saying that the written word of God was more authoritative and more powerful and more clear than the audible voice of God. He says, to which you, you have a copy. You will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place. You ever feel like you're in a dark place? I don't know what to do. I can't see. I don't know how to get out of this mess. Read your Bible. He says, that is a more fully confirmed word than hearing the audible voice of God. It is a lamp shining in a darkness until the day dawns and the bright morning star rises in your hearts. That's what you've got in your Bible. He goes on, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. You ever wonder why everybody's got so many different interpretations about the Bible? Trent, you're saying it's clear. You ask 10 different theologians, they'll give you 11 different opinions on some particular topic. Listen, there is only one interpretation of Scripture. The right one. So if you got 10 different opinions, nine or all 10 are wrong even if they're very well respected. We don't always have an infallible ability to interpret God's word. We make mistakes. And yet, God's ability to reveal himself is phenomenal. He goes on, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but by men who spoke 
from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter is saying God's word is clear. Here's the third thing we believe about God's word. God's word is entirely essential. God's word is entirely essential. I need the Bible in order to know God. The necessity of the Bible states this. We cannot truly know God, his will, or the way of salvation apart from the Bible. Again, this is the difference between general revelation and special revelation. You you can know some things about God. He's big. He's a creator by looking at the world and hearing kind of in our moral conscience, I just feel guilty when I do that. And I feel peace when I do this. That's part of God's word written in our hearts. But in order to know that I am a sinner in need of a savior and who that savior is, I need some eyewitnesses to tell me about that plan. And that is what God has given us in his word. We call it the necessity of the Bible. Romans chapter 10 says this, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How many of you believe that? Everybody, even a dirty, rotten sinner, the worst one you can think of. How many of you were the worst one that you could think of? And God saved you anyways. Like, man, anybody can be saved. Anybody who calls upon the name of the Lord. The question is, how do I know his name? And how do I know that he will do what he promised? I have to have some eyewitnesses that heard his voice and recorded that for me, and i got to have some evidence, and that's what we have in the Bible. So Paul asked the question, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? It's a rhetorical question. It means they won't. Nobody's going to call on him unless they know his name. Nobody's going to be able to believe in him unless they know some truths about him that they must believe. And so he asked another question, how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? Answer, they won't. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Answer, they can't. So what do we need? We need to know his name. We need to know his will. We need to know his ways. And we need to know his plan. And so he goes on and says this, And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You want to see some beautiful feet? Right there, baby. (laughs) Not because I'm anything. I'm just doing the thing that I'm supposed to do to try to communicate God's word through a very fallible messenger. I'm trying to get the message right. So here's the good news. So faith, your ability to believe, comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. It's the doctrine of revelation. The only way you'll know that I am a sinner in need of a Savior and who the Savior is, is for that message to be communicated through His written Word, through faithful preaching, so that we can believe. Do you have a weak faith? you have doubts? That's okay. Do you know how to remedy weak faith and doubting? You need an appetite for the word. You got to hear it. And you don't just hear it one time. You got to put it in there and you got to keep it in there. And you got to preach it to yourself every day. And when the word is preached, 
God speaks. God is speaking right now through the preaching of his word. You say, but Trent, you're only around like on Sunday for like an hour and I got issues on Tuesday afternoon. Preach the word to yourself. And by preaching the word and hearing the word and reading the word of Christ, it produces faith in our hearts. That's why God's word is entirely essential. Only in scripture do we learn of the holiness of God. Only in scripture do we learn the source of our problems and our pain. Only in the scripture do we find the good news of forgiveness of sin through the cross of Jesus Christ. Only in scripture do we know the person and work of Jesus Christ. Only in scripture do we learn that justification is by faith not by works. And only in Scripture do we find the reason for the hope of His coming, that He's going to change all of this in the end. We need the Word. And if you've never been saved, you just heard the gospel. And it's your greatest need right now to respond to what you heard in faith. God's Word is entirely essential. Here's the fourth thing. God's word is absolutely final. And by this, we're talking about the authority of the Bible. The authority of the Bible states this. The Bible, as the expression of God's will to us, has the right to define what I am to believe and how I am to behave. You see, here's the thing. You can say it's inspired. You can say it's inerrant. You can say you believe it until you give the Bible the right to change you. You really don't believe it. Have you given God's word the right to define what you believe in every subject? Not what the Supreme Court says, not what the law of the land say, not what your friends at, the school, at school say, not what's on the movie or in the weekend, not what your philosophy or your science book says. But have you given God's word the right to define what you believe and then to determine how you behave? Until you do, you really don't believe it. That is the proof. Hebrews chapter 4 says this, For the word of God is living and active. It's unlike any other book at Barnes & Noble. All the books at Barnes & Noble are dead. They, they were written by people who are alive, but once they wrote the words, it just stays there. But God's word is alive. It's active. It's doing something. It's working. Every time God speaks, it accomplishes something. We believe that God spoke and we were created. People that don't believe the Bible believe that man spoke and God was created. We believe God's word creates things in us and it does things in us. It's at work in us right now and it is sharper than any two-edged sword. That sounds violent. God's word's a weapon. Really more like a scalpel. You got a cancer inside of you and you go to the doctor and the doctor says, I can cut that out. Really? What, what happens if, if I'm afraid of knives? I don't, I don't really want you to cut me. Well, you're going to die. Where are, where are the tools? Open me up. Get this thing out of me. That's what God's word does. It is sharper than two, any two-edged sword, 
piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of your heart, which we learned in the Noah series, are only continually evil, right? So God wants to get all of that junk out of me, but what does he do? By his authority, he speaks into my life and says, that's got to change. Stop doing that. You're hurting yourself. You're hurting your marriage. You're hurting your legacy. And you're destroying what God intended to be beautiful. And so God speaks and God's word stands outside and over every thought, every intention, every opinion, every religious tradition. Now, this is different from what a lot of churches teach. You can't make up your own doctrines and invent things that the Bible doesn't talk about. God's word has absolute authority. It is the absolute final judge of me. I do not stand in judgment of God's word. God's word stands in judgment of me. It is absolutely final. In the 1500s, there was something, a big historical movement. You studied it. If you ever took a history class, it's called the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation. The word Protestant comes from the word protest, and there were a bunch of systematic theologians that got together and said, ah, the church is inventing a bunch of doctrines that aren't in the Bible, and we protest. We protest. The word Protestant comes from the word protest. We protest things that are not in the Bible. And so we, as a Protestant group, say our authority is not our tradition, it's not our opinions, it's not even our systematic theology book. It is God's revealed written word alone. One final thing here, God's word is definitely enough. And here we're talking about the sufficiency of the Bible, which states this. The Bible is a finished book containing everything we need for living as God desires us to live. Hebrews chapter 1 says this, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke. Isn't that incredible? That God has been speaking since before you were around and before America was around. God's been speaking, and he's done it in many different ways. Here's some examples. To our fathers by the prophets, and so we have some books in our Bible called the prophets. It's Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Hosea and all kinds of prophets in the Old Testament. And a prophet was one who spoke on behalf of God. And then it says, but in these last days, we're living in those last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Who created the world? God did. The Bible actually says all three persons of the Trinity, we'll get to this next week, revelation of God, but Jesus had a part in creating the world, God's Son. And God came to this earth, and Jesus spoke the language of his counterparts so they could write it down in a book so later men could translate it into the language that we speak and we can know what Jesus said while he was on the earth. Incredible! You and I have access to something that the prophets didn't have access to, the very words, the revelation of 
Jesus, do you know one of the titles for Jesus? John chapter 1, verse 1. The Word. Jesus was the living Word. The Bible is the written Word. And God has spoken to us. And the words that Jesus said were recorded in a book so that you and I could know what Jesus said. Incredible. He spoke to us through His Son. And it says He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the Word of his power. God's still speaking. If God stops speaking, the, world, the universe, everything just fly out of the solar system, disintegrate. God is holding it together by the word of his power. And after making purification of sins, and here's the gospel, how did he do that on the cross? He absorbed the wrath of God. God treated him like he'd committed my sin so he could treat me as if I didn't commit any. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high and having become as much superior to the angels as the name that he has inherited is more excellent than others. What are we saying? God's word is sufficient. You don't need a vision. You don't need a dream. You don't need an angel. You have Jesus, which is far superior than any little mystical experience you may or may not have. God's word's enough. Is it enough for you? So many people are trying to know God through some shortcut and bypassing the word that he has spoken to you. And the reason why people shortcut it is because they actually know what's in here. They just don't like the God that, they, that it presents. And so they'd rather have a God of their own imagination. And so Jesus gives us the fullest revelation of God's word. Rather than meditating on and studying and, and, and examining God's word and being satisfied with what God wrote about things like heaven, we would rather read some novel or, or account of some four-year-old boy that, that supposedly went there and came back and wrote a book. Oh, this is a fascinating read. There may or may not be anything wrong with that. But why would we ever treat that as something we need? We have enough. What God said about heaven was enough. Is that enough for you? It's, it's got to be enough. It's definitely enough. The Bible's a finished book. The Bible's complete. The Bible contains everything that you need to know to serve God, to love God, to enjoy God, and to live confidently knowing I can marry the right person and I can choose the right job. And God gives me certain areas of freedom because he didn't speak to every single issue in my life. He says, you have a heart, you have a desire, you get to know me, I'll fill you with your spirit. You stay within the boundaries of my law and you're going to enjoy a wonderful life. In the year 2007, there was a uh, Christianity Today article that came out entitled, My Conversation with God. I know you can't read it. This is what it says. The author says, does God still speak? I grew up hearing testimonies about it, but until October 2005, I couldn't say it had ever happened to me. I'm a middle-aged professor of theology at a well-known Christian university. I've written award-winning books, and for years I've taught that God still speaks, but I couldn't testify to it personally. I can only do so now anonymously for reasons I hope will be clear. A year after hearing God's voice, I still can't talk or even think about my conversation with God without being overcome with emotions. Now, there, that's, a, that's a good article in some sense, Here's, here's the problem with an article like that. It gives the impression 
that the written word of God's not enough. That I need some audible voice from God and that the Bible is important, but it's not near as valuable as if I was actually to experience it in some other way. We want to say we believe in the sufficiency of the Bible. It's a finished book. Everything I need to know to please God, obey God, love God, serve God, it's right there. How much am I valuing the Word of God? So do I believe that God still speaks? I do. I do believe He still speaks. We call that the doctrine of the illumination of the Bible. That is the work of the Holy Spirit in helping the hearer or the reader of God's Word understand its meaning and be convinced of its truth. I believe God's been speaking in the last 45 minutes as I've been preaching this message. I believe believe this. We've put our eyes on the written Word of God and we've heard God's Word read that God has been affirming the truth of Scripture. And He's calling us to believe it and to love Him and to know Him. That's why when we sit down and pray, as we read God's Word, this is what we pray, Psalm 119, verse 18. God, would you open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law? You you can open my eyes, and God, you're going to do it as I read it. I was meeting with a pastor uh, this week, another pastor in in South Bend, and and I I was just getting to know him. It was the first time I'd met him, and I said, tell me about how you came to know the Lord and and how you became pastor at this church. And he said, Trent, he told me his testimony, and he said about pastoring the church. He said, I was reading John 21, and there were three words that pierced my heart. Jesus said to Peter, Feed my sheep. And I was overwhelmed with the Spirit of God saying, you need to leave your secular employment. You need to embrace the mantle of being a pastor in this church. Now, have you read those words? Did God call you to be the pastor at that church? Probably not. Maybe he did, and because of your disobedience, this guy had to do it. But, but um, we're talking about the illumination of God's Word. And what, what God does is when we read His Word, God then by His Spirit says very specifically, because of this situation, the circumstances in your life, and the way I've brought you, and you've lived in this way, and are you even qualified to be a pastor? And this is what some people would say. is like, I read that verse, and it says I'm supposed to be a pastor. I've been divorced three times. I'm hooked on drugs. I, don't, I haven't been able to keep a job in 20 years, but God's called me a pastor of this church. I'm thinking the elders of the church are like, God hasn't told us that. You know? You see what I'm saying? The further away from the written word of God you move, the less confident that you have heard the voice of God. So we need to be careful because we believe God's word is a finished book. It's definitely enough. And we'll end where we started, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Everything God wants you to do this week to obey him, is found in His Word. We 
You've been listening to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. We'd like to invite you to join us this week at one of our weekly worship services at Harvest Granger, Saturdays at 5 p.m. or Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. on Hickory Road, just north of Cleveland Road in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit harvestgranger.org. We hope you'll join us again next week at this same time for Resonate with Trent Griffith, a ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger.